0: Welcome to Extinct Wretches, yay! Where we break down what's going wrong and what's going right with the American news media. Hello, how are you?
1: I am good. How are you?
0: I watched a woman, a well-dressed woman today, walking down the street in Washington D.C. Put together, professional—you know, a—I won't call her middle-aged, but a, a an, an adult person. Okay. And I, she's walking down the street. You know what she did? She reached into her mouth. And pulled out a giant wad of chewing gum and threw it in the bushes outside of the American Enterprise Institute as she continued to walk down the street. And I was like, What's going on? Like, what is going on with people and their lack of dignity? What is um, going on?
1: While you, were, while you were describing this person, you were like, I saw this well dressed professional. I was going to say, That obviously wasn't me. Oh. But then now. I should have interjected that. This obviously you wasn't me. You would not me. throw your no, a No, of course of I wouldn't. And I'm also not, you know, professionally dressed, et cetera, today. 70% um,
0: of the time I find myself that, looking at my fellow adults.
1: That was definitely not me. And
0: saying, just tighten it up a little bit. Yeah. Do you ever chew gum?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I like gum. I'm pro-gum.
1: When I was a kid, I would chew gum all the time. And if I was ever with my uncle, he would just put his hand in the back seat and be like, spit it here. Could not handle It Was the gum chew.
0: forbidden? Spit
1: it here. He just hated the chewing I keep
0: scent. my car stocked with gum for the boys so that we can chomp Ugh, gum for a long awful. time. You know, for a long time, I chewed nicotine gum, and that was a pretty gross habit yeah. on, on its own, but loaded with nicotine, which is great. Okay. Wait, did you ever smoke? No. Never? Never. Never, nic- never nicotine no. never appealed to you? No. It's not too late, Eliana. No.
1: <laughs> Check uh, it out. No. Okay. We we have our front page is very crowded you today. Say that every- yes, I know we have it's true every week. <laughs> right off the top, we have CNN boss Chris Licht doing another interview, and I I mean I think the most newsworthy thing about this is how many interviews Chris Licht gives without like making that much change at CNN and...
0: The people at CNN would disagree, but yes, I know.
1: I mean, my thought is like, what what is the point of doing so many interviews? I, my approach to things is like, do and let your deeds speak for themselves as opposed to constantly talking about what you are doing or plan to do or may do or hope to do.
0: I, you know, the Roger Ailes... It, you know, it's it's a there's a line, right? And I think Jeff Zucker was uh, over the line. I think he he was too much of a personality. I'd say for licked, you know, let it. He's trying to book, as we'll get to here in a moment, and part of what he talked about, he's trying to add Hollywood pizzazz to CNN and bring the entertainment industry in at CNN. So doing the LA Times and be you know acting like he's a big mocker not to say he's not a big mocker but that doing this stuff probably maybe the idea is makes famous people think fa- famous people like to deal with other famous people
1: doesn't seem to me he's really becoming a uh, a personality or
0: That's good at least at least there's that the um, the interviews are boring i will i will give i will boring. give him that they are boring okay
1: so he sat down with the la times and said you know, he was pressed on this idea that he wants to bring in a comedian to it fill some of these. They're, they're gaping, they're giant gaping hole, which is primetime. And the reporter says, are you talking to comedians about being part of the new primetime show? And he says, we're in conversations with culturally relevant individuals from Same the way. worlds of entertainment, sports and comedy who can bring fresh and unique perspectives to the news. I
0: love this line. Best line of the article. Which one? The reporter's line, next
1: Oh, yeah, the reporter says Most funny comedians are liberal
0: Just obviously, uh, it's yes. uh, duh Statement obvious. of fact They're all hilarious Think of all of the hilariously funny liberal comics Oh, wait, none. Yeah, so Not none, but, like, the, just that sentence Most funny comedians are liberal Even Bill Maher has a liberal sensibility Not really anymore, but whatever How will this work for a network that is trying to appear less politically partisan Who's the funniest comedian working in America today? Who do you think? It's Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle is the funny, is the funniest American alive currently. And when we think of who, like who else do you think's really funny? I'll name some names: John Mulaney, Bill Burr, Tina is funny, but she's not really working in doing that kind of stuff. She's behind the camera. I don't really
1: follow this stuff, honestly, except Chappelle.
0: But this premise that most comedians, most funny comedians, are liberal is part of the problem that CNN yeah. is facing. Yeah. Yes.
1: Okay, so now CNN is going to begin airing Bill Maher's Overtime, but it's like a re-air from HBO. Um, from HBO. HBO, yeah. And then there was a Puck News article that indicates that Chris Licht is trying to lure Gail King, again, not away from her CBS News morning show, but to do a once-weekly yes show and. on CNN yeah. in addition to it. And the thing that that strikes me about this is, you know, Chris Licht produced the morning show at CBS. He knows Gail King. Yeah, he produced Stephen Colbert. He knows these, you know, these comedy people. Like, it's so like boring. He is going back to the people he's worked with before. What and should he do? I don't know. It just seems so like it's not creative.
0: If you if you made me the head of CNN. I would hire you. I would hire like I would you would go to the people you know. I would be like, what are we going to let's get Jonah Goldberg a show. Like that's what you do, right? You you bring yourself to the job and the and and by the way, and you know this is true. Who do you want to work with? People it's way more important yeah. to trust and like the people you work with than that. So I get it, I guess.
1: I mean, this job, I think, is a little bigger than that. Like, you you know, programming to what he wants to be, a national audience, is a little bit bigger than, like, who do I like?
0: I, I think the line is— Who I th- are my
1: friends? You know, but, of course, as, as deputies and people behind the scenes, like, you think about that, but programming is more than that.
0: It's got to be both. You don't have to be friends with the people on air. But I certainly understand the instinct of, like, I know these people— I know that they're good. And like Gail King is a great example. I don't get it, but because I don't, morning TV is not usually my forte. But Americans seem to like Gail King, right? She seems to be successful and popular. And that would make sense. And if you had a relationship with her, you'd try to get her, right? Sure. (laughs) All right.
1: It just, none of it seems particularly compelling to me. Not Um, impressed. No, it just doesn't seem like
0: fresh. What would you do?
1: I'm, I really am curious. Like, and I had a lot of problems with, with Jeff Zucker, but like, look at Caitlin Collins. He yep. like plucked her from the Daily Caller. Yep. That was like bold and gutsy. And he, he, so I'm looking at like, who are the people we've never heard of who you're going to take and shape and mold into stars? Who is, Like, who are the people we don't know who you're going to find because you have an eye for talent? Who are you going to hire who wasn't there before? Who don't we know about? Like, that's what I think find impressive. And, like, Roger Ailes was good at this.
0: But Roger Ailes was also good at hiring big names, right? So when he was starting Fox, so you hire Paula Zahn, you hire, you know, Geraldo, you hire big names from other places or people that have had, you know, derailments in other locations, Chris Cuomo, like, you bring in people with names.
1: That's true enough, but, you know, Megyn Kelly was a was a creation of Fox in a lot of ways. Well, she like, was a
0: creation of herself, for sure, I, but, yes. Totally,
1: but, like, but that's saying, like, oh, I'm a creation of myself. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I... Not, no, I'm t- not, com- Megan, I'm not comparing myself to you in any way, but you know, we all owe a lot to the people who like saw something in us and took a chance 100%. on us and gave Me us too. the platforms that we've had and all, and all this stuff. So I want,
0: it's gotta be both to
1: see fresh, new, different kinds of people.
0: I mean, is there anybody else new that CNN's hiring? I don't know. Are there young reporters? Are they bringing people in? Is there change at that level? I don't know. Cause that's how Megan started. Yeah. That's how Caitlin started. You hire a young reporter, you bring him in, and you see where where it takes you.
1: I'll let you know when I when I see one.
0: All right, keep an eye on CNN.
1: We have to talk about this New Yorker profile of the Washington Post, the Amaze embattled Post. Washington Post CEO Fred Ryan, and it's kind of hard to believe this guy has worked in media for like three decades because this is sav he is savaged in and this. this
0: is this is Claire Malone writing in the New Yorker,
1: and the most. Amazing part of it is that, so Fred Ryan, he went to work for Robert Albritton when Robert Albritton helped start Politico. Tell them who Fred Ryan was before. Funding. Fred Ryan was a a bureaucrat, basically, and, like, he was Ronald Reagan's post-presidency chief of staff, so he was kind of, you know, on the right
0: He is still, I believe, like the chairman of the Reagan Librarian Foundation stuff.
1: Yeah. So he goes to Politico early on and works for Robert Albritton, who provided the money to help start Politico. And the quotes from, and worked there for a long time, the quotes from Robert Albritton in this piece about Fred Ryan, who is now the publisher of the Washington Post, are demeaning. So Albritton is quoted saying, He's talking about a video in which Fred Ryan was pressed by the Washington Post Guild about why he is announcing layoffs, and he gets he says we're not going to Ryan says we're not going to turn this into a grievance session, and, and he's very he's visibly frustrated. And Albritton says that video was a very rare window into Fred when he gets frustrated. Robert Albritton, who along with Ryan was a co-founder of Politico, said, "I guarantee you, he walked off that stage and said, 'Oh.'"
0: It was that was a. Uh- Thanks for help. I, I don't know why Robert Albritt... I guess Fred Ryan cooperated with this story to try to lessen the blow, Well, bad choice.
1: The next thing Allbritton says is, Claire Malone writes, From Reagan to the All Britons to Bezos, Ryan has found himself close to wealthy and powerful people throughout his career. Fred is very good at managing up, Allbritton said. He's the perfect ambassador for a multi-billionaire.
0: How nice. Um, <laughs> he said of himself... said of himself, he was very good at managing up to me, a wealthy and powerful person. Great, great (laughs) butt kissing, Fred. Way to go.
1: Yeah. Way to go. Yikes. Super smoocher. And then the other part of this is lots of people wondering like, you know, where the hell is the post going? It's obviously not in a good place. And
0: quote, Learning Ryan said (laughs) he'd had during the COVID era, said that he he'd had during the COVID era is that, readers, quote, want some diversions. He pointed to the Post's new well plus being section as proof that the paper is trying to give people what they want. And (laughs) here's where Malone kills. This is the kill shot in the whole article that is a brutal takedown of Fred Ryan. One recent headline read, quote, ask a doctor, are my bowel movements normal? Question mark. Close this quote.
1: Is what the people want.
0: Savage. That is a, the meanest thing. Cause it's just, and she just lays it there like poof, like just one strike in the face. And by the way, are you familiar with the thing where you poop in a box and mail it in? So if you don't wanna have a colorectal, if you don't want a the camera in your patootie, you can go number two in a box. And ship it to... Instead
1: of having a colonoscopy?
0: Yeah, you can ship it to these people. And I was at the UPS store. (laughs) I was at the UPS store getting... I needed the notary. And bro came in. This older gentleman came in with a box of his own feces and then handed it to... How did you
1: know that's what it was? Because it
0: says on the outside of the box what it is. You know what it is. And you also knew what it is because she then grabs a plastic bag and puts it into the plastic bag with, like, like nuclear, like it was a nuclear waste into the plastic bag and cinches it off and puts it over there. And I just thought, I would rather have 10 colonoscopies than have to walk down the street and <laughs> hand my feces to a stranger in public. I just, I know people don't want to get, I'm I'm fine with getting the colonoscopy. Handing a stranger my poops is not <laughs> what I'm going to do. But anyway, I, okay. I digress. But I digress.
1: That. I've never had that experience at a UPS store.
0: It was wild. And we talked about it after he left. I'm sorry, sir, but we talked about it after, after who, who he Who
1: talked about it? I did. With?
0: With the people there. I was like, how do you do it? And they were very professional about it. They were very professional. But I'm like, how do you, how do, you do it? How do you, when a person comes in, how do you not go blah or laugh at them or whatever? But they're like, what well, Oh, my know. gosh. Trying to be healthy. People are trying to be healthy.
1: That's awful. <laughs> uh, Colin, you should delete that whole <laughs> no, portion from never. the podcast.
0: People um, need to know. Colon, all right. Colorectal health is important, Eliana.
1: Chris, take our take our next item.
0: The New York Times should... Ta- oh, so this is... A, so the story around this guy, I have not followed it closely. What's the name of the FBI agent? Charles was,
1: McGonigal. What
0: was the name of the theoretical cop show in The Simpsons? Or no, that was McGonigal. But the... So this guy, Charles McGonigal, former special agent in charge of the FBI's counterintelligence division in New York and he is facing shockingly serious charges right that he was that took payola and that he was uh you know really crooked and this is a big deal
1: he was on on Oleg Deripaska's dole
0: yep and it was a big deal and as it turns out and so this is the Philadelphia inquirer and i want to get the author's name right this is by Will Bunch. What a, was he somewhere else before? I don't know. Not anyway, familiar. not important. Talks about what, how the basically the allegation is this guy who is crooked was a source for the New York Times on 2016 stuff and other stuff and that the New York Times should come clean on this and that the New York Times has a problem with this. I don't know if that's true.
1: He really doesn't, I would say, make... The case that he was a source and here's the uh, here's the indication in the articles. Sure. I mean, maybe he was. And if so, then that would be a very I mean, there's an interesting news story to be done on what was this guy's role sourcing news stories, given how heavily the New York Times relies on anonymous law enforcement sources, including at the FBI. But reading this, I didn't see it make the case. It seemed to me like he jumped to conclusions before laying out the evidence. And and that is, I think, this, a ripe subject for a news story.
0: He says Congress and Merrick Garland's Justice Department can shine a true light on this giant mess. But there's a reason I'm picking on The New York Times today. It's a massive temple of journalism that gives us both great work like the Bar durham piece, and inexcusably bad work on a daily basis. The Times can finally apologize for the sins of 2016, expose exactly what went wrong, and then reveal the rest so this kind of disaster never happens again. It owes it to American democracy. Well, like, maybe simmer down a little bit.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of conclusions in the piece that, with, without a lot of evidence, including that, you know, the reason Trump won is— well,
0: there's two things I can point to that the New York Times did that helped Donald Trump a lot. One was, indeed, the coverage of Anthony Weiner's laptop, which is the most disgusting phrase that you can use legally in public. Number one, that that whole thing that he's talking about here, the late surprise, definitely that there was nothing there. That's a, that was a big deal. But I'll tell you the thing the New York Times did even more to get Donald Trump elected was that in August... The Jim Rutenberg piece that ran on the front page, a a basically opinion piece that ran on the front page that said, We can't treat Don we can't behave like normal journalists anymore because Donald Trump is not a normal candidate. And it was the green light to the political team at the New York Times and for all of the journalists who looked to the New York Times to go off and do whatever they want. And because Trump was breaking norms that they should break norms, and that was even more consequential to getting Donald Trump elected, because the press, instead of returning to first principles and doing what's right, people said, well, now we just have to do anything, right? And this this was the do anything to stop Donald Trump phase, as opposed to having confidence in voters, having confidence in the American system of checks and balances and balanced power. And instead, this was where the New York Times played a huge part in giving in to journalists self-regarding totally twaddle about, you know, democracy dying in darkness. The Washington Post beclowned itself, but the New York Times gave an important signal with that Rutenberg piece to say, hey, maybe it's time for us to start breaking the rules. He shouldn't be the only ones to break the rules. And my point is, all the obsession about Trump violating norms, his pursuers took the wrong lesson. Instead of violating norms to keep up with him, that's when they should have hewed closest to the line as possible a rump
1: speaking of norm violations and this is
0: a this is a beauty
1: black standards The Washington Post reports on a GOP report
0: GOP report shows plan to ramp up focus on disproven election fraud claims sounds bad I guess they're relitigating Arizona I thought as I reopen as I open the uh, file
1: and the lead is A new internal report prepared by the Republican National Committee proposes creating a permanent infrastructure in every state to ramp up election integrity activities in response to perceptions within GOP ranks of widespread fraud and abuse in the way the country selects its leaders.
0: What? This is madness. The report prepared by the RNC's quote, scare quote, national election integrity team close, scare quote, And obtained by the Washington Post reveals the degree to which Republicans continue to trade on former President Donald Trump's false claims that Democrats and their allies rigged his defeat in 2020. My gosh, this sounds very serious. Oh, wait a minute. The report suggests building a massive new party organization. Sure. Sure, it's going to be massive. It'll be because, you know, the RNC, massive power that the RNC has a a massive new party organization involving state level, quote, again, scare quoting election integrity officers, and intensive new training models for poll workers and observers, all based on unsubstantiated claims that Democrats have implemented election procedures that allow for rigged votes. Holy cannoli. Like, number one, Republicans have been concerned about voter fraud long before Donald Trump. Donald Trump was exploiting an existing concern among Republicans about voter fraud, not creating one. You are not old enough to remember, but the fight over voter ID laws was a dominant part of political life in America in the 1990s and early 2000s, right? Every state that wanted to put in a voter ID law, it was called racist, it was called whatever, and all of these things. So number one, it's longstanding. Number two, the idea here very obviously, is not to build on Donald Trump's claims. It is to rebut Donald Trump's claims. This would be, and this is Amy Gardner and Isaac Arnsdorf. It should be obvious to these people what this is. This is not building on what Donald Trump did. This is to try to settle down Republican voters and say, Oh, we've got our election integrity team. We've got people in every state. So that when the elections take place that they can say, We're checking, we're on it, we're doing it. This is facile this is I will I will describe this piece as inexcusably facile.
1: It's ridiculous. And however, this was a very good piece from the Washington Post. This is like our little Washington Post section about the new strategy. By This is Matt Visor piece by Hunter Biden. Whoa, 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 you're blowing oh, right back. Whoa, whoa, What did whoa. I skip?
0: Oh, uh, oh sorry. way to celebrate Black History Month by ignoring environmental oh, racism. Oh, sorry, sorry. Way sorry, to go, sorry. Eliana.
1: Thanks right ahead. for nothing.
0: Washington Post, quote, environmental racism and the mysterious cars rusting in the D.C. woods. So here's a great example of taking an interesting story and ruining it. By trying to make it a national story. You know how I complain about the Washington Post? And I feel bad, Washington Post. I I like much of your coverage, and I'm sorry, but here's a, a perfect example. This is a good local story ruined by trying to make it a national news story, right? This is a reporter, and I'm sorry, i i I'm going to say your name, and I'm sorry. This is Justin, I'm sorry, what? Just, so his byline, and I don't. He's probably a wonderful person, but his byline is Justin W M. Period Moyer William. But he doesn't want to go the full William. But he doesn't want to go just W. Period. So maybe there's another Justin W Moyer there, and he needs the M because the other guy <laughs> is Winifred. Or I, you know, I don't know. But anyway, Justin W Moyer, instead of doing a good story. Which is how come nobody cleans up the cars that people dump in <laughs> Ward Eight? Right? Because here's a good story. It's an interesting local news story. Ward Eight, I believe I live in Ward Eight, but whatever. It's the South, it's the southeastern part. It's in the southeastern part, and it includes Anacostia. A lot of it is federal land, and a lot of it includes some of the very poorest parts of Washington, DC. And I can say this as an Appalachian American. In poor places, abandoned cars are part of the story. If you've ever driven through in the deep... Have you ever driven through the Deep South? No. So if you drive through rural Appalachia and the Deep South, you will find in poor places, cars just abandoned on the road, right? You will just drive and it'll be like, somebody left their car there and it and it rots basically on the side of the road or on the interstate. And in poor places, it happens. In, in the creeks and hollers of West Virginia, cars are there. And by the way, every spring they have a big cleanup People volunteer to go and haul this stuff out. It's a big problem. Anyway, so there's people are abandoning their cars in these areas. Instead of just doing a good community-facing journalism story about let's get the cars that are rotting in the woods out of the woods. They're a haven for mosquitoes. Kids can get cut on them. It makes people feel bad about where they live. Here's this. Lacey A. Statcher, an assistant professor of sociology and environmental studies at Boston College. Saints Preserve Us, said that environmental racism is linked to, quote, racial capitalism, close quote, the idea that economic value of a person is based on their race. Quote, your neighborhood, because it is predominantly black, has less value, she said of this mindset. And then this is him just saying this. He's just saying this. He's not quoting anyone. Environmental racism makes people believe that a neighborhood is not worthy of development or appropriate only for industrial projects such as power plants or landfills, according to Satcher. Indeed, long before the Department of Homeland Security's new headquarters opened on the Anacostia River's East Bank in 2013, it was home to the Blue Plains wastewater treatment, the Benning Road transfer station, and the city's impound lot. How dare they put the water treatment plant on the river? How dare the District of Columbia in the least valuable land on the river in the whole area, have the water treatment plant. Because the water treatment plant should not exist. We should shoot, well, I guess maybe everybody can just poop in boxes and mail it away. We can <laughs> ship everybody. We don't need a water treatment plant because everybody can use poop in a box and it'll be fine. The Taking a practical problem of governance and turning it into an insoluble institutional intractable problem of racism is so bad and this is a point where this man could have been an advocate this reporter could have been an advocate for a community and asked the right question which is to the district of columbia and he called the different federal agencies and people pass the buck around and he said well this is really just environmental racism how about hey mayor of district Col- mayor of the district of columbia Help these people out. What's the problem? This is a community service opportunity, not a place to talk about abstract theories with professors of sociology and environmental studies. Um, Double woof.
1: I'm just looking at the this author's or the, the reporter's bio, and yeah. it's just basically exactly what you would think. <sighs> uh, just... Wesleyan University BA in social science and music. Well, don't Um, come in. Goucher College MFA in creative nonfiction and now pursuing a JD.
0: Getting his law degree.
1: Yes. Now pursuing a JD. Well,
0: Jonah Goldberg went to Goucher College. So there you go. Maybe Jonah will, maybe he'll be joining us at the dispatch.
1: Okay. Now we can finally talk about Hunter Hunter Biden's lawyers targeting his critics. This was a very good story. Um, also from at the Washington Pfizer, Post? Yes, at the Washington Post. Yeah, not everything there is a heaping pile of boxes. <laughs> Environmental boxed, racism. you know what. Uh, <laughs> so it was super inter- interesting. It said, Hunter Biden's lawyers in a newly aggressive strategy sent a series of blistering letters Wednesday to state and federal prosecutors. Blistering. Criminal investigations into those who accessed and disseminated his personal data, and sent a separate letter threatening Fox News host Tucker Carlson with a defamation lawsuit. The string of letters, which included criminal referrals and cease and desist missives aimed at critics and detractors, marked the start of a new and far more hard-hitting phase for the president's son, just as House Republicans preferred their own investigations into him. I mean, very interesting that that's the tack they're taking. It's obviously like a PR strategy and not a legal strategy. But, you know... The the deeper that that one goes into this laptop, the more Ass. one realizes that like Hunter Biden is truly like a a devil child and a very, very troubled
0: deeply troubled
1: awful person. And this is like really this is a problem. And and this is not going to solve it. It's this not- Hack is not going to solve the it's problem not going to
0: solve it but this is the same approach that many on the right have taken right threaten lawsuits file the letters even if the case isn't going to advance you 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 send you what the blistering you send blistering correspond you have lawyers send blistering correspondence you do stuff and i you hope that and look where it got them well it got nicholas sandman like a bajillion well, dollars. That
1: was that was I know, like I know
0: it's different. Uh, yes, it's different. that was but like
1: an actual innocent innocent I, minor. I
0: understand, but that was the that was what's uh, what's his name the guy who killed those people.
1: Oh, Kyle Rittenhouse. Kyle
0: Rittenhouse. So this is like the same the the same legal slash PR strategy. I'm going to threaten to sue you, and it'd be very as thank God it'd be very hard to sue media figures for trashing Hunter Biden, who is a public figure and who has made himself a public figure in the process of trying to get rich by being the son of a former vice president, right? So Hunter Biden is going to be very, it's going to be very very hard for him to make any cases here unless you can find intentional malice, right? Like the bar will be very high. But Fox News is the the Fox Corporation's legal department has been real busy lately. So they may
1: also, I mean, the letter that, that Hunter's lawyer sent to Tucker Carlson was over Tucker Carlson's claim that Hunter was paying $49,000 in rent to Joe Biden, which is not true. And which is basically verifiably not, too, not true if you do take the time to wade through the laptop. So, yeah, people are saying lots of false things about Hunter Biden. You probably can't drag them into be, court be and have a an actionable claim.
0: That guy's a mess.
1: Okay. Chris, you want to talk about this thing I know nothing about.
0: Just to make note before it comes here. So currently, Britain is having a discussion about, I forget what they call it, it it's online safety or something. I forget what the name of the bill is, but it would be, and I'll read the description here, Britain wants to make its make the internet in Britain the safest in the world, right, that hate speech, harmful images, bias, all of these things. So it's looking for to, to build a safe, and and as they say, it's, it's going to be safe, but it's going to be free. Here's a description from, I want to get it right for once, My, might as well. Chris Stokel Walker, a British journalist who writes about technology, and he says... It's no wonder many Internet content providers fear they could get caught up in the bill. Wikipedia, for instance, publishes articles that cover sexuality and suicide and other topics that some government officials might decide are harmful to children. One lawyer has even suggested an individual running a simple server on Minecraft, a game popular with teenagers, could inadvertently fall afoul of the law as drafted. Punishments for violating the law are stiff. D- designed for big tech companies such as Meta, Twitter, and Snap, but smaller organizations are concerned they could be just as vulnerable. And in the debate in the House of Lords ho! Oh, I say, I say. Imagine as I'm reading this that I'm wearing a monocle and a top hat for full effect, please. Can you do that for me? I can. Okay, thank you. I
1: can put that in my mind's eye.
0: That one of the lords who is saying this is very upset about the free pass given to newspapers in this legislation and that for him to sign on and by the way this is a, a member of the Liberal Party. This is the Lib, the what are they? The Lib Labs, Lib Dems. Sorry. Lib Dems. There were Lib Labs, though, at some point. There was some fusion. But the Lib Dems... So these are not libertarians, but these are supposed to be sort of the classical liberals of British politics. And they're like, well, what about newspapers? What about news outlets? People get to go online and say things and they publish things that are harmful to people and make them feel bad. And I will tell you, this is what is coming for the American news business. This safety thinking and it's present on the right and the left, the safetyism around media and journalism is coming for our business. And I have concerns about it less from a business perspective than a freedom perspective. And I have less concerns about it from a business perspective than I do from a liberty and national vitality and health perspective. This stuff happens fast and is very hard to undo and has massive distorting effects. We should be watching what's going on in Britain. We should be paying attention because if it comes here, I'm looking at you, Amy Klobuchar. If it comes here, we're going to have big trouble.
1: So you're going to keep, a, you're going to follow the storyline. All like right, you follow, you follow Chris Lick. Yes, Licht. I am. Follow, I'm, I'm following Chris Licht. I'm following chess, and I'm following this new story that we're going to get to in my favorites about about
0: yeah trouble for sure. at the zoo for sure trouble um, at the you zoo. Follow this because I hope that's the name of this week's podcast trouble is Trouble at the, at the Zoo. zoo. Yeah.
1: All right, take us to. So
0: this is yours.
1: The Legos for science. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, NPR had a quick story. We just had to hit this. I've done
0: right? enough. I've, I've talked to, I've had enough potty humor NPR this week. NPR
1: did this, a story about six doctors who swallowed Lego heads for science. And the subhead is Here's what came out. Oh, and there's just oh. one line I wanted to get to. Basically, your kid can swallow a Lego head. It's fine. That's the TLDR. But it says Researchers then measured the time it took for the gulped Lego heads to be passed. The time interval was given a found and retrieved time, parentheses, fart score.
0: Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> we People
1: like that. Um, <laughs> I don't want to talk about Gawker. Do you want to talk about
0: Gawker? Well, I didn't even know it was still alive. Okay. You put it in. Tell no, us what I happened. I didn't put it in. Who put it in? Oh, it was Cookie Chocola. All right. That's fine. All right. Gawker still existed. Now it doesn't. Okay.
1: But... Please tell us about Politico's 16 Hours with George Santos.
0: Well, first, the Free Beacon headline, I think, needs to be addressed.
1: The Free Beacon did a send-up of the George Santos coverage, which is, you know, what the mainstream would have written had Santos been a Democrat, which is the political targeting of George Santos is inextricable from his sexual orientation and Latinx heritage. (laughs) The subhead is... Racially charged fact checking is morally and literally equivalent to violent. Leave the poor man alone. There you go.
0: Yes. There you go. Well, in the, I hope, I pray, Lord, hear our prayer. The Nadir of George Santos obsession, Politico for its magazine. And this is Jesus Rodriguez. I think that is right. Yes. And headline 16 hours with George Santos hard pass that is yeah, a hard yeah. pass 16 hours with george santos dunkin donuts 27000 steps in a scolding
1: that is a lot of steps
0: so here's here's a passage it's
1: like more steps than i take in an entire week
0: i will address you he says over and over again on my time but his musical taste a reporter asks half in jest that he will answer. He doesn't have a Spotify. He prefers Pandora. My favorite jam right now, Sam Smith song Unholy fun song, but we're not alone. I ask him about his housing situ but now we're alone. I ask him about his housing situation giving the stories members of Congress sharing a this is my other obsession. This is twinning in oh, with yes, the members yes. of Congress complaining about how they can't make it on one hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars a year. I ask, I, I try to ask him about his housing situation, giving this, given the stories, members of Congress sharing apartments or sleeping on their office couches. But I fumble my phrasing, so he clearly believes I'm asking a member of Congress for his home address. Can you ask me like nothing personal? Hey, Amen. Look, I I get it. I get it. You're young. I would do it. I would have done it. I'm not, I'm not, I've done, I'm sure I've done just as bad as this article, but please let it end here. Please let the George Santos coverage, let it end. It's allowed to end. Surely at some point it's allowed to end. (laughs) Do you have any Santos? It's so boring. Yeah, it's just like, we got it. It's fine. We know it's funny. And the thing I really don't like about this piece is that it's the, you know, my, do you know my frappuccino or my, uh, what's the beverage Starbucks does in the fall? Pumpkin spice latte. Do you know my pumpkin spice latte theory of American politics and media? No. Starbucks doesn't care whether you enjoy the pumpkin spice latte, ironically or sincerely, right? If you're really basic and actually do enjoy the pumpkin spice latte and do it in your Ugg boots and your did – you, did you see the Amy Schumer we'll, – we'll link to it, but the Amy Schumer skit on Saturday Night Live, My Big Stupid Hat. The women now wearing these giant, like, bigger than an RB sign hat that they're wearing. So if you're wearing an RB sign for a hat and Uggs and you go in to have a pumpkin spice latte and you really love it and you don't care – then they love to take your money. But guess what? If you go get a pumpkin spice latte, but you say J-K-L-O-L in your social media post, Starbucks cashes the same amount of money and they don't care. And a lot of articles like this one about politics are like, oh, we're so meta, like we're making fun of this coverage, but we're doing the coverage at the same time. That's just a cheap way to cut a corner to do the kind of unworthy coverage. Like George Santos is boring, But you're you're ringing out of it the last drops of which one is comedy pathos and bathos and pathos. So ringing out the last drops of pathos and bathos from the George Santos story.
1: Oh, this is all you.
0: Here's a I in in our rundown is a picture that I took while eating steak at the Palm. And it is so Bobby Hall to
1: be you, Chris.
0: It is hard. It is hard. Bobby Hull died, and Bobby Hull was the golden jet. He was, in the 70s, an enormous force in professional hockey. And his son, Brett Hull, was one of the great stars of the St. Louis Blues. I grew up watching Brett Hull play, blah, 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 blah. Bobby Hull dead at 84. Here's the lower third on ESPN. Hockey Hall of Famer Bobby Hull dies at 84. Face legal and family issues in personal life slash told a Russian newspaper in 1988 that, that Hitler, 1998, that Hitler had some good ideas. Now look, I don't doubt that Bobby Hull did gross stuff. He was, had, he, he, I think hit a cop one time when the cop was coming to investigate a domestic violence allegation. Sounds like a person probably as a 1970, did you ever see the movie Slapshot? No. Okay. Anybody who has seen the movie Slapshot, 70s, rough, toothless, brawler hockey was the energy of the time. I bet Bobby – I bet I would not have had my kids go live with Bobby Hull for the yeah. summer. All true. Nineteen eight, 1998, said something about Hitler to a Russian newspaper is in your obituary. Like, just do the do the sports. Just do the – Bobby Hull's dead. Okay, fine. So then i i th- I thought, like, get over yourselves. Who cares? Not who cares, but like, have some proportionality here. And then I found a New York Times story that at length, at
1: of course, a are you surprised words, by this? Of I'm
0: course. totally surprised by this. Who cares what Bobby Hall? Like, do you know that Ty Cobb was a rotten person? Did you know that? Do you know who Ty Cobb is?
1: I know who Ty Cobb is, but I don't know anything about his. Like, you know, humanity. rotten person,
0: probably super racist, just mean
1: i mean this is why the beacon like spoof rewrites people's obits as if we were writing them today or the you know we just did a the top 10 you know great quotes of american history rewritten according to ap style guide because
0: did we talk about that have we did we talk about it last week, the people experiencing yeah, yeah, you, journalism? You,
1: yeah, you can't you can't say the French.
0: The French. Did yeah. we talk about that? Yeah, we talked about we it. We didn't talk about it we last week. We talked about it. I don't it. think we you talked about it. You can't say the French. You can't say the French. You can't say and so the great Megan McArdle had the best line and she referred to it as she 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 referred to it as as vice for people experiencing journalism. <laughs> <laughs> people experiencing Frenchness. Anyway, AP, come on. But the New York Times goes on. It will be interesting to see how the NHL and the Blackhawks, the team most associated with Hall, handle memorials for him. The NHL, NHL All-Star Game will be played on Saturday in South Florida. The next Chicago home game is February 7th. Usually the death of a Hall of Fame star like Hall would merit an emotional tribute at both events. But his conflicting legacy leaves that in doubt. How about this?
1: Also, the the headline is Bobby Hall's golden hockey career diminished by his troubling dark side.
0: Yeah. Nope. It wasn't. He, he. I don't know. I. I don't have no idea. I don't know what his journey was. I don't know where he ended up. I
1: hope all of you did nothing wrong in your entire let's lives say, because... let's,
0: say, let's say Bobby Hall was awful. Let's say he was everything that people said he was. How about just talk about him as an athlete, right? How about just do that and mostly leave it alone and don't explore the larger significance of what a. Potentially drunken Bobby Hull said to a Russian newspaper in 1998 about Adolf Hitler. Maybe that's not germane. Maybe for Bobby Hull's family and everybody else, he can just have a brief remembrance and move on. Jeez, Louise. Hey, LeBron James. Hey, everybody else. It's okay just to be good at sports. It's good enough just to be good at sports. That's what we want to see you do.
1: Well, we debated whether to. Put this in the style section or not. This is, is more life than
0: style. We did sports. Now we're doing life. You know, the, the the life section is like where you get what doctors say about your poops. Fred Ryan's favorite section. So this is that section. How parenting today, New York Times, how parenting today is different and harder. When I say that I almost threw my phone across the room when I read this article, I mean it. Quote, today's parents spend more time and more money on their children than previous generations. Working mothers spend as much time with their children as stay-at-home mothers of the 1970s and feel more pressure to be hands-on, especially for college-educated mothers and careers. The demands have caught them off guard, economists have found. Now, there's a lot of truth in there. And I'm like, okay, there's truth. Women today face extraordinary pressures to do everything and be everything. And I'm like, okay, tell me. In the Pew survey, just one-third of mothers said that being a mother was the most important aspect of who they were as a person. Yet they also said they felt judged for their parenting by friends and other parents more than fathers were and spent significantly more time than fathers on the physical and emotional labor of parenting. Check. This checks out. In recent years, the pandemic also forced many mothers to make it a primary role, even if it hadn't been. But where's the part? This is not my complaint. My complaint is... I substantially agree with all of that. My complaint is oh, yes, it's the lead. American parents are finding the job much harder than they expected, found a large new survey by the Pew Research Center. And it's not just how they feel. Parenting is more demanding than it used to be, a variety of research has found. Here you go. Eight in 10 parents of younger children, of children younger than 18, find it to be enjoyable and rewarding most of the time according to the new survey of 3,757 U.S. parents in that group. But two-thirds also say it's harder than they thought it would be, <laughs> including about one-third of mothers who say it's a lot harder than they expected. Hey, is it harder than you thought it would be? No. It's not? No. Really? No. What did you think it was going to be? Attacked by Godzillas? Like,
1: Well, my daughter's only one, but I thought it would be hard.
0: Let me tell you something. If they'd have done this survey any year in human history, how are you enjoying being a parent? Is it harder than you thought it would be? Ask any parent who is standing there with a duty diaper in one hand, sleep deprived. How how is it? Was it harder than you thought it would be? Yes.
1: Yeah. It's hard. I, I totally agree with that. But It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It's
0: hard. And it's always been hard. I certainly take the writer Claire Kane Miller. I certainly take her point about dads and the imbalances and the pressures on women. That's all there. But you can't base it on a survey asking people. That would be like if you asked eighth graders. How hard do you you think? Is eighth grade harder than you thought it would be? And And they're like, yes, it's much harder. And then say, well, eighth graders today, it's different and harder than it was for eighth graders before. It's always hard.
1: And I also think that when you... the the fiction you know 50 years ago was that you know men pretended like work was really fulfilling and women pretended like you know homemaking was super fulfilling and the truth is like you know there's really crummy parts about both of them and now like both men and women get to experience both parts of both about of both things and like there's just different trade-offs it's not like Today's world is so much better, but like the previous iteration, just there's trade offs.
0: I quote it all the time, but the father—it's
1: not like more of a burden. It's also really hard to stay at home. That's right. I would never want to do that. And everybody's um, it's, different. It's boring. It—I mean, I, I realize not everyone thinks that, but that was hard too.
0: Yes, every it's, and so two two economic point two economist points here. One, what did Thomas Sowell teach us? Everything's about trade-offs. Yeah. Number one. Number two, Richard Thaler, my favorite, probably for, for the past five years or so, my favorite quote from an economist, Richard Thaler at the University of Chicago. He said, We don't think people are stupid. We think life is hard. Life is hard. Yeah. Life is also wonderful and rich and rewarding. And parenting really is the best thing that you will ever do. It is the most satisfying. It is the most rewarding. It's hilarious. When your kid is old enough to be funny with you, like she's funny now. She makes funny faces. She's adorable. But when you can start, when you have a, a joke partner, it is the most wonderful, delightful, hilarious, enriching thing in life. I would trade it for nothing, but it's hard. It's supposed to be hard. That's the point. And like, you know, as, as my mother, as my mother would say when I would say that I wanted something, you know what she would say sometimes? And this is talk about how it was different. Parenting was different back in the day. My mother would say, well, people in hell want ice water. <laughs> yeah.
1: Like, well, yeah, accurate. That brings us, Chris, to our style section. And this is a wonderful item that <laughs> Jeff Bezos is sending his mistress, Lauren Sanchez. Former mistress. Former mistress. Former mistress. Now- I don't know what girlfriend. Lauren Sanchez will lead an all-woman crew to space on Blue Origin. (laughs) And... Sanchez isn't saying who the five women are who will be joining her, something that will be revealed closer to the planned early twenty twenty-four flight. Oh my gosh, Chris, are we gonna be able to wait to know who these please um, so
0: this is from the these verge.
1: trailblazers are accompanying her?
0: Subhead. It's
1: going to be women who are making a difference in the world and who are impactful and have a message to send, Sanchez tells the journal. And Bezos won't be getting an exception to a tender flight. I'm going to have to hold him back, Sanchez said. He'll be cheering us all from the sidelines.
0: Subhead on this piece from The Verge. Media personality. Mer, Lauren Sanchez has secured herself.
1: Yes. She she's
0: secured it. How did she do it?
1: The, Probably the NASA wanted work. her. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: NASA was coming for her. And yeah. then she was like, no, 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 no. I have to do it with Jeff because definitely we are in love. Media personality Lauren Sanchez has secured herself in a crew of five impactful yeah. women. She is an impactful. Wait, let me check
1: my phone. I have not gotten. Are you getting the, anything on this uh, invite?
0: No, you're no. an impactful woman. No. She was impactful to... I
1: have not been invited.
0: Lauren Sanchez was definitely impactful to Jeff Bezos's net worth. You can say that she has had it. She's done something that that many of his competitors failed to do, which was to devastate his net worth by fifty percent. Media personality Lauren Sanchez has secured herself and a crew of five quote impactful women a. Early 2024 space flight aboard boyfriend Jeff Bezos' Blue Origin spacecraft. I I am at a loss for this, and I just think that maybe Jeff Bezos is trying to get rid of another female partner. This is the only conclusion that I can reach: is that they're he's going to get her up there, and then they're going to have a technical difficulty, and he'll just leave her in space. Maybe that's maybe that's the plan here.
1: I mean, that was amazing.
0: Sending my girlfriend to space.
1: Yeah. Hope nothing happens. <laughs> Hope nothing happens. Flight. Hope um,
0: nothing happens.
1: That brings us to our obsessions of the week. Where we break down the stories we can't get out of our heads. Chris, I saw this story and I I loved it in, in, in the love to hate it kind of way. The New York Times, Hiroko Tabuchi writes... In the fight over gas stoves, meet the industry's go-to scientists.
0: It's going to be a favorable story about the great work? Yes,
1: yes. Longstanding research shows the health health dangers of gas-burning ranges. Utilities are turning to Julie Goodman, a toxicologist with a firm whose work raises questions about the science. Okay? So it is a hit piece on this scientist who... Has a Ph.D. from Johns Hopkins and taught at Harvard and she has, you know, all the credentials. And so she has raised questions about the studies that say that gas stoves are causing asthma in children. How dare she? And so the Times writes that, you know, that they, they're saying she is a shill for the industry. In congressional testimony, Dr. Goodman has argued against regulatory standards for mercury and air toxics and has criticized studies linking air pollution and mortality, frequently identifying herself as an independent scientist, which, of course, she cannot possibly How be she possibly and hold these views, these right? Things. How could she, she possibly pos- believe these things? Despite Gradient's work for corporate clients, you cannot oh, be an independent scientist and work for corp- well, corporate cl- clients. Clearly,
0: there's no way that they're funding research that they like. Clearly, they have changed her opinion with their money. There's no possibility that the American Petroleum Institute, as it was looking for where to put its funding, said, we should probably fund research that we agree with. It's definitely not that. It has to be that she previously hated gas stoves and now is getting money from the American Petroleum Institute. It's like, well, I guess I better I better betray the truth in order to do it.
1: What's galling to me is like fine write the article but there is no similar investigation or curiosity to try to ferret out the conflicts it. of interest at work in these studies or the groups promoting the studies that say there are dangers for using gas stoves and of course those studies come from green energy groups who you know the board of directors of those groups are People who work at green energy companies who would profit if we get rid of grass stoves and transform into a green energy economy. But you're not going to see a splashy profile of the scientists well, they they're mean relying it. on they in mean the New York Times. They're legit. They're coming from a good place. Yeah,
0: they're just supporting research that, that is right, as opposed to these people who are supporting this evil woman who is doing this work. Clearly. There's no way Julie Goodman's on yes, the level. Uh, of no course. way. Over to you. Over to me. Okay. As you know, I am a longtime listener, big fan of Andrew Sullivan, his podcast, the, I guess that's the, it's the Dish Cast. So there's the Weekly Dish, his Substack, there's the Dish Cast. And so he had on his show Rod Dreyer, who started at the Washington Times. I think, did he work at National Review?
1: Not that I know of.
0: I think he did, but he was an early blogger. And he writes about religion. He is not a clergyman himself, but over time he was a, he was, and was, oh, I know when he had his big, his big media moment was in the battle over gay marriage. And that's why Andrew Sullivan noted gay and actually one of the, one of the strongest proponents for the legalization or standardization of, of same sex unions. And they were old sparring partners back in those days. Now, almost 20 years ago, when the battle was really intensifying. And here's how Andrew describes him. Rod Rod is an old school blogger and author living in Budapest. Oh, he is a senior editor at the American Conservatives and written several bestsellers, including The Benedict Option and Live Not By Lies. He's currently writing a book about bringing the enchantment back to Christianity at a time of growing secularism. But listen to how the podcast begins
1: in a secular culture increasingly hostile to religion altogether. Live not by lies. Rod, it's been a long time. It's lovely to see
0: you. How are you doing? You know, I'm doing pretty great, Andrew. Thank you for asking, even though it's been a hell of a year. As most people know, I'm in the middle of a divorce right now, but and I've relocated to Europe, and I'm Things are going well, but I've learned a lot in this past year and my faith has never been more important to me than, than it has become as I have sort of bookended. I'm sure Roger Dreher is having a hell of a go. I'm sure it is a very tough time. I'm sure the divorce is tough. I'm, sure I'm sure he's enjoying like living in Victor Orban's Hungary, whatever. But here's what I took away from this listening to it. There are a lot of reasons, and I want to get you, your take on this will be important to me. There are a lot of reasons to keep your personal life personal in journalism. Lots and lots of reasons to keep your personal life personal. It's a barrier to, it can be a barrier to other people, right? Because if you're too personal, then it's only, then people only feel like it's for you. You have to show a certain amount of personality and, and who you are. And, and I, you know, I think we both do that and pull back the curtain a little bit on our lives. But I thought, first of all, the statement, he said, as everybody knows.
1: Most people know.
0: As mo- most people know. I'm going through a divorce. I did I not, not know, know it. it. Most, most people do not know it. As a matter of fact, less than probably a tenth of a percentage of Americans probably know who you are and know about your marital circumstances. And I, I, I listened to the whole podcast. It was interesting. Sullivan is such a good interviewer because he's gentle with people, but then takes them to the test and he does it every time he takes them in. And then he's like, okay, now we're going to do the hard stuff. And it's very good. But I thought, as I was listening, like keep yourself out of it. It's not about you right? If you keep yourself out of it, then you don't have to do. And then I looked it up. And on Twitter, apparently when Dreyer, who has been a real moralizer on sexual purity matters and other things, when he not only got divorced, but left his kids behind in Louisiana and moved to Hungary, the internet was like, hey, bro, what happened? Like what happened to all the Benedict option, traditional conservative values? And it just, it just was instructive to me about there's there's enough personalization and then there's too much and keeping something for yourself is good for yourself and it's keeping most of it for yourself is good for yourself and it's also good for your product. Agree or disagree?
1: I, I agree in that I don't share a lot of like personal stuff on yeah. social media. I'm not a big, including opinions. I'm not a big tweeter. I don't post a lot of pictures and stuff on Instagram. I never put
0: my kids on the social media.
1: So I just am not and I do think we're in a world of like gross oversharing. Yes. That said, I'm like a huge oversharer in like one-on-one personal conversations. This checks out. But not on but not not to the mass public. So I, but I view that a little differently. I thought that was like just an off-key comment cuz it's like you know, obviously man like we, no, we don't know about don't your know, divorce, right. and but I, I'm also very hesitant to like sound off on people's personal circumstances because we like never know what's really going exactly. on with people. And that's but, the uh, thing you
0: can't say. That's my point. You can't say I want my privacy, but also I want to make my career about my personal journey and what's going on in my life. You can't have both, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, I uh, yeah.
0: I think that's right. So anyway, but that'll be theme two. Other than defecating in a box theme two is we don't think that people are stupid well i don't don't think think. people are stupid i think life is hard and i'm sure life is hard for rod dreher and i'm sure it's been a journey and you know it is a good instruction to me about humility and keeping what's personal personal i mean i i've talked about being divorced i've talked about my kids i've talked about my life and all that stuff but you know that's 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 for dad that's that's daddy stuff
1: okay Chris, that brings us to my favorite segment of the week, which is reader mail. Do it. Okay. (gasps) Our first mail, piece of mail, is from Dave Keppel in Springboro, Ohio, who says, Hi, Chris and Eliana. I don't know if this officially qualifies as swag, but I'm attaching photos of a few items I acquired while working as a reporter for the Dayton Daily News from 1982 to 1999. My favorite is the Mother Goose and Grimm comic strip umbrella. The comic strip is by the DDN's longtime editorial cartoonist, Mike Peters. I never knew that. So also a coffee mug with the DDN's one-time slogan, There's More to the Story, and a book about the newspaper's history. Love the podcast. Still my favorite.
0: Oh, my gosh. The
1: umbrella is awesome.
0: Do you remember? You got to put a
1: pic of that. In do, the you,
0: do you letter. remember Mother Goose and Grimm? No, no, you never saw no, this. No, because comics were already dead by the time you came along. But I am obsessed with old fashioned comics. The the always terrible Family Circus, the worst comic strip ever in the history of all comic strips. Marmaduke, Garfield. You know there was a Garfield knockoff called Heathcliff.
1: Yes, I do know that. I was a Garfield fan.
0: High and Lois, the Lockhorns, Beetle Bailey. B.C. Wizard of Id, just all of this stuff that was pumped out. By the way, do you know? Speaking of Jonah Goldberg, do you know that his dad worked as a syndicator, and that was his no. dad's job no. was filling newspapers with High and Lois's. I don't know whether he actually represented High and Lois, but that and High and Lois was the modern. Do you remember Blondie? No. Dagwood, Bumstead, no. and his wife, who was from the 20s, a flapper named Blondie, no. and he would eat big sandwiches. And then every, so often somebody would try like an updated version, and there was High and Lowest. And then there was the Canadian one, which was called For Better or For Worse. And like most Canadian knockoffs of American things, it was super depressing.
1: Okay. Next Great. Note. I
0: just, wow. Wow.
1: Next note.
0: Dave Keppel much love.
1: Next piece of mail is from Patrick Wills in Augusta, Georgia, who says, "Hello Chris and Eliana, love the podcast. It was it has definitely earned the rare status of save the best for last and oh. also first to replay on in my weekly queue." Wow. I have followed Chris here from a prior pod and have enjoyed getting to know Eliana. Her there husband certainly has the right, right name. Woo. Interested to know Chris's take on the doomsday clock versus the State of the Union. Which is the more useless mainstay of American media? Oh, my gosh. Definitely State of the Union. Although, Patrick, I noticed you did not ask my opinion, which sounds very much like my Patrick. Well, asking let me... my
0: opinion. Oh. He doesn't have to ask.
1: No. <laughs> no, he knows that as a annoying Jewish woman, I will give it without being asked.
0: The State of the Union does... So much harm. It's just such a bad institution. So it's not which one's worse. It's, it's the scale of the harm that is done and the harm that is done from the State of the Union. So it's not just that it's useless. So the doomsday clock is bad and does harm, but not much because who cares? No one has ever thought, you know, life is good, and then I saw the doomsday clock, and now I'm really worried. I don't think that's how it works. I think it just ratifies the fears of people who are already afraid. But what the State of the Union does is it has an unhealthy, incorrect, directional attitude from the executive to the legislative branch. The president should not come down and be lecturing Congress. That's not how the system works. That's not how the system is supposed to work, number one. Number two, the speeches are always terrible almost always terrible they're too long they're written by a committee of copy and pasted trash of every whatever and then the worst part of all you know what the worst part of the state of the union is the actual the coverage
1: delivery of it
0: the warm-up the coverage what do you think
1: the speech itself is pretty bad
0: well i just just, said the speech is bad but worse than that what will happen at the state of the union let me let you in on something nothing Ain't nothing gonna happen. Can President Biden awful. get his agenda on track? No.
1: Well, with Biden, you're kind of like, what's gonna happen? Well, that is, this? It's, it's like, Ugh.
0: you know, that I've described Joe Biden watching Joe Biden giving a speech. It's like watching a dog try to walk across a freshly waxed floor, and you're like, yeah, yeah, that's totally true. How's it gonna go? That's so the, totally there true. is suspense. But the the what will it do? And look, if you want, if the if networks wanted to give, if media outlets wanted to give. The president just pick a day of the year. Like, how about do it on the 20th? In, okay, it's been a year. On every January 20th, we're going to let you give a talk. But the way that they do it, as if knowing what we know about politics, so how about this? What if I put it this way? The same outlets that every day say how intransigent, intractable the Republican majority in the House is and how little they want to work with Joe Biden. The next day are like, well, Eliana, how do you think the Joe Biden's speech will be received and can he get his agenda going in Congress? It's like, well, wait a minute. You just spent the last 75 days telling me that the Republicans in the House are not going to do anything that he says. So what, is, it, is Marjorie Taylor, Taylor Green going to hear the State of the Union and go, damn, I had not thought about it that way. I guess I will vote for your budget. It's just ridiculous thumbs down you know when it was good and next week we'll do a montage of the worst of the state of the union i'll probably be in it but that's okay the worst of the state of the union coverage but do you know how the state of the union got to be the state of the union
1: no uh,
0: Ah, yeah. uh, yes as in many things lyndon johnson ruined it so prior to as everybody knows sorry rod Dre, sorry sorry to rod or that many people know that Thomas Jefferson did not give a speech to Congress because he thought it was an inappropriate relationship. So he delivered his by writing. So then it persists as a written report because the Constitution does require that from time to time the president will inform. So it was a written thing. And it was a written thing until guess who? Woodrow Wilson. And Woodrow Wilson said it's time to tell them what to do. And then it persisted. When Dwight Eisenhower, JFK, I believe this is true too, but presidents did go give the speech, but they gave it at noontime. They went down, there was a little luncheon afterward, and it was a low wattage event. But in 1963, JFK was assassinated, and Lyndon Johnson worried about his legitimacy. He had never been nominated, and he wanted a way to kick off the 1964 presidential campaign. So what did he do? He moved the state of the union to be a primetime television mega event. And by the way, that year it was interesting because there was lots of legislation. The 1964, 1965 was civil rights act, voting rights act. There was big stuff. Sure. The great society stuff he was doing a lot, but then of course it hardened into a tradition that stinks and is bad for the country. i I will quit my job and go work for whatever campaign of the candidate who vows to end the State of the Union. That's probably not true, but I would really want to. I would, really, I would certainly support any move by any candidate who said, I will do away with the State of the Union. I hope that the White House Correspondents' Dinner will die, but let me dream even bigger and say State of the Union Let's, let's put it down.
1: In our follow up file. Oh, yeah. I was vindicated As because usual. I was wide eyed at the size of Mike Pence's estate in Indiana. And now we have from the Wall Street Don't Journal let Karen Pence, you a headline about that? Trio of Indiana Cities Tops Wall Street Journal Realtor.com Housing Index. And the article says Three Indiana cities led this index. In the fourth quarter, when affordable markets continued to dominate the rankings, it's Lafayette, Indiana, was the top-ranking emerging housing market in the quarter, followed by Fort Wayne, Indiana, Elkhart, Indiana, Topeka, Kansas, and Johnson City, Tennessee. So you know what? Mike Pence, finger on the pulse of American life.
0: I I think you should think about buying in Indiana. We can do it by Zoom.
1: I will buy... That homestead. I like it. It looked very, very nice. I like it. Uh, That brings us to your favorite time of the week. Where I'm forced to say something nice, (laughs) but you lead by example, as always.
0: Let's hear it. When Chekhov saw the long winter, he saw a winter bleak and dark and bereft of hope. Yet we know that winter is just another step in the cycle of life. But standing here among the people of Punxsutawney and basking in the warmth of their hearths and hearts, I couldn't imagine a better fate than a long and lustrous winter. From Punxsutawney, it's Phil Connors. So long. That, of course, Bill Murray playing Phil Connors, the weatherman for a Pittsburgh TV station, in the great, great movie... Groundhog Day. Do you like the movie Groundhog Day? Yeah. Today is Groundhog Day. And Groundhog Day is very funny and has a bunch of funny moments because Bill Murray is hilarious, but also is philosophically, it is accidentally philosophically one of the great movies of all time because it asks the important question, well, in Christianity and for a lot of philosophers, the question is, how can we live every day like it is our last but live every day as if we would live forever, right? How do we build for the future? The the line, I forget who said, to plant trees, the shade of which we will never enjoy. How do we build things and live for that way, but also be prepared for today to be our last day on earth? Balancing those two things is really hard. And in this movie, it it is a hilarious and wonderful exploration of that tension. Sorry, nerd. But what I also like about the movie is Local TV news is great, and today is Groundhog Day as we're recording this. And Groundhog Day is exactly the kind of thing, have you ever, I'm going to ask now a dumber question. Have you ever been to Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania for Groundhog Day? I've lived it. I have been part of the miracle where, as Bill Murray says in the movie, they pull, pull a giant rat out of a box and ask it what the weather is, and at Gobbler's Knob in Punxsutawney. And it's great. And it's staged for the benefit of, it is a it is a local news, it's a masterpiece, because it doesn't hurt anybody, it's fun, it's good for kids, it's family friendly, here's a groundhog. And that clip we played at the beginning, that Colin played at the beginning, is that in the end, Phil Connors, who starts out the movie hating the local news, loves it in the end, and I... I I bid you all to follow the journey of Phil Connors, embrace Groundhog Days, embrace embrace local news, and be corny. It's good.
1: My favorite item is there's some seriously weird (laughs) stuff going on at the Dallas Zoo, and the Wall Street Journal headline is, Missing Dallas Zoo Monkeys Found in Closet of Abandoned Home. Police say a tip led them to the home in Lancaster, Texas. No arrests have been made. So that's just the tip of the iceberg. Two small monkeys that went missing from the zoo were found inside a closet in this house. But it's the latest in a string of mysterious incidents at the zoo this month. So they found these tamarind monkeys. But that came on the heels of a missing clouded leopard that went missing after slipping through an opening in a mesh fence.
0: Why is the leopard clouded?
1: Um, On the same day... Dallas police said a similar tear was found in the habitat for a for different monkeys, but none of those monkeys escaped. And then, a week ago, a vulture was found dead. Zoo officials said what it had wounds, on, but declined to give details about the cause of its death. So Dallas police have released a photo of a man they want to speak to regarding the tamarin monkeys. The incidents are being investigated, etc. But this is like, there is going to be a documentary made about this. We will bring you all of the updates.
0: This is like a Columbo yeah. episode, yeah. right? Oh, have you seen the Natasha Leone remake of Columbo?
1: No. It's good.
0: It's called Poker Face.
1: Chris, that is all the time we have left. Word. This week for the news about the news. I'm actually talked out. <laughs> if you have a story that you want us to talk about, email us at wretches at nebulouspodcast.com. That's wretches at nebulouspodcast.com. This has been Inkstained Wretches from Nebulous Media produced by Colin Chicola. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Wretches.